happens if you write all the things that you're willing to go through for some of these goals, you know, everybody talks about what they want, but they don't talk about what they're willing to give up. So if you talk about what you're willing to give up in order to do some of these things, that makes it a lot easier when those things come up and you're asked to like, okay, you have to sacrifice your comfort. You have to sacrifice, you know, like feeling good for the rest of the race. You're going to have to like, you know, sacrifice a couple days after the race where you're recovering. Um, when those things come up, it's much easier to like give them up and then keep going through the race because it's just, it's basically negotiation at that point. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show, an interview podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview really interesting people, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, people just living really incredible lives and documenting them here and sharing what we learn with you. In this interview, we have the pleasure of interviewing Joel Runyon. Joel Runyon is an athlete and entrepreneur who founded Impossible, which is a group of companies dedicated to helping people push their limits and do impossible things. He's well known for what he accomplished in 2017. In that year, he became the youngest person in the world to run seven ultra marathons on seven continents. And along the way, he raised almost $200,000 for Pencils of Promise to build seven schools. I have been a personal fan of Joel since... I first encountered him on a podcast I was listening to about three or four years ago that inspired me to create my own impossible list, which has been a running document of things I thought would be very difficult to achieve that I've gone ahead and done. And I was extremely excited to bring Joel on in this conversation to discuss his philosophy about goal setting, his self-talk during extremely difficult goals, like running ultra marathons, what his current goals and ambitions are, and a whole lot more. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation. Really, really grateful to have been able to meet Joel after being a fan of his for so long. And I'm going to switch over to our conversation now. Enjoy. Joel, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. This has been an interview a long time in the making. I'm excited that we're finally making it happen. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Definitely. You are one of probably the internet experts on goal setting. You're the founder of Impossible, which is a set of companies that does so many incredible things, encouraging people to go for ambitious goals. So I wanted to ask you a question first about goal setting in general, but before I do that, I got ahead of myself. Could you introduce yourself, not in terms of the companies you have and the, the goals you've gotten into, cause I'm sure that'll come up, but what would you say two parts, your current passions are like most recently and mm -hmm. the skills that you're best at? Um, okay. So my name is Joel Runyon. Um, I'm not going to name the companies I run, so, but uh, <laughs> the, the skills, that's weird. I, I, I usually have to start with that. Um, the skills that I'm picking up right now, um, uh, I'm trying to do water sports this summer. Um, I grew up in the Midwest mm -hmm. in the middle of, yeah. so I'm kind of known for endurance stuff, ultra marathons. I've got a couple events later this year that I'm going to do. I might have one this summer. I just do impromptu, but um, uh, I grew up in the Midwest and I didn't ever do any water or board sports growing up. I was always like a ball, like basketball, volleyball, baseball, soccer, you know, everything like that. Um, and so this summer I'm in Texas and it's really hot here. And I'm like, I can't survive another summer in Texas if I'm not in the water. And so um, the goal this summer is, uh, I went down to South Padre a month and a half ago and just spent a lot of time kite surfing. And that is probably my favorite thing that I've picked up recently. Um, but, uh, I've been working on wakeboarding, wake surfing, like all the water related activities. And, um, I want to try to do free diving some stuff. So basically the theme for the summer is trying to do like all the different water sports I can get my hands on and see like what I can get to a base level competency at, and then see which ones really, um, uh, I get excited about. Um, what was the second question? 
was the second part of that question? I think that was a pretty good overlap yeah. as far as your skills and your yeah. passions. You kind of hit both with the yeah, same yeah. activity. No, I think that's yeah. great. And I actually uh, learned to wake surf for the first time. Uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago now, and it was incredible. You know, I'd never gotten up on a board before, and I failed over and over and over again, and it felt impossible, right? And then no. finally, I just stood up. It was it was really a cool feeling. We have a buddy, actually, Spence, who is always listening to the podcast that um, is super into all the water sports. He like It's like his whole life is, is the water. Um, but I've got a question for you about, about goal setting. I think that it was the one that Lewis was alluding well, I to. I almost asked. The one like, he almost yeah, asked. Oops. But, um, you know, when we set goals, it's easy to jump to the first thing that pops in our head and to um, do things based on, you know, the, the recency bias. But my question is, how do we um, set goals and choose the correct thing to go after rather than just picking the first thing that comes to mind, picking the thing that is most aligned with you know, who we want to be and who we are? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, and a lot of, depending on who you are and where you're at in your life, like you're probably going to have a better or worse sense of that. Um, I feel like sometimes people worry about that too much in some respects. They're like, oh, I got to pick the right thing. And this was me for a long time. I'm like, I have to figure out the right career trajectory in order to do anything, or I have to find the right business to start. And that actually got in the way of me actually trying anything. Um, and so, you know, when I'm approaching like the stuff that I'm doing this summer for water stuff, which is new for me, um, I have like a group of things that I want to do. They're all water related. And I don't know if I'm going to like some of them or dislike some of them. Um, and it's like a little bit premature for me to be like, which one of these is most aligned with who I am as a person. Um, the thing that's uh, interesting about the goals is that it's like forcing me to try something new and I'm learning something new and it's skill acquisition, which is something that's interesting for me, but it's also um, fitness, adventure, sports. Uh, so there's a bunch of different things that encapsulate it all. Um, and so even if I don't love a specific thing, like even if I don't throw backflips, you know, while wakeboarding, um, I'm still getting a lot out of it. And then um, it also creates a platform for me to be able to like, okay, I explored this interest area without having there be like crazy high expectation goals on this. Now, do I like it? Like if I didn't like it, I wouldn't keep doing it. Um, but you know, kite, kite surfing was one of these things that popped out at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I'm gonna, I, I need to get better at this. And so that's one thing that's like, okay, once you, once you have an understanding of who you are, and sometimes, you know, if you're younger, you might not have an idea of that. If you're older, you might be stuck. You might be think this is what I am defined as, and you might have a harder time breaking out of it. But I think it's super important to be able to give yourself the space to follow your curiosity, especially early on, um, and be like, you know, what's the downside to me? Like, you know, being intentional about picking up the skill the rest of this year, you know, probably pretty minimal. And then like, then if you like the skill or you don't like the skill, you can actually build out a goal set from there. Like to me, that's a much more interesting way to go about it because uh, especially when you're talking skill acquisition, like just mm -hmm. the fact of learning is something that's really interesting for me. A lot of the things on my impossible list are just like things that, yeah, I could probably go out and do tomorrow, but it's going to take a process for me to go, go out and knock it out. And so there's a, it's a it's a built-in attribute of lifelong learning and being able to continually try new things and be open to new things while also developing the things that like you decide are really useful to you and that you care about. 
Does that make sense? Definitely. Uh, another question I have, similar line of thinking, but not, not the exact same line, different lines, but similar lines, is with the impossible list, and this is something I'm very prone to, uh, as well as many of our listeners, is just setting... You have an impossible list for people who aren't familiar with the format. It's very expansive. It's you know goals in multiple categories. It's not just one thing at a time. What is your thinking about both prioritization of goals and kind of working simultaneously towards multiple goals, dividing your attention versus being like more narrow focused on one goal? How do you approach that difficulty a lot of people have? Yeah, I think this is super interesting to think about like what, like what space different things take up uh, because similar to what I was saying, there's like this exploration phase where it's like, you're trying to understand the lay of the land and like what goals are worthwhile pursuing. And then like, which ones you really want to pursue, um, you know, very directly. Um, I think my tendency is to be interested in multiple things. And so I like that aspect of being able to have, uh, multiple skill sets across multiple areas. I do find though that like that, has been in some cases a distraction and when i'm frustrated about the progress that i'm making on a specific thing often it has to do with um it doesn't actually have to do with doing too many things i care about i find i end up doing a lot of different things that i don't care about which actually tends to be the thing that um you know it's it's constantly reviewing where you're spending your time and where you're spending your energy and then like calling out stuff and so to me uh I, I kind of like the, the concept of going deep on one thing, but also having like one of the problems with specialists is that they get so narrow focused on the one thing that they're doing. They don't actually have broader context for um, to see new opportunities or see what else is happening. And so I like that the idea of um, pursuing multiple different types of goals um, while also having like one that's like the priority. Um, but then regularly reviewing stuff to be like, oh, I started doing this because I thought it was going to be fun. And like, maybe I'm not enjoying it as much as I want to, or maybe I'm not getting what I want out of it. Or maybe I just don't care about it anymore. I'm just doing it out of habit. Um, I think regularly calling that stuff is, is just as important as like, oh, I'm going to be doing this, or I'm going to be doing this, or I'm going to go wide, or I'm going to go deep. Um, I think you can kind of do a little bit of both, but you just have to be smart about it. And you have to be uh, intentional about it which things you care about and which ones you're you're going to call like later on if that makes sense yeah one thing i'd point out i think you and him are friends taylor pearson uh we've had him on the show and he's a big advocate of 90-day planning that's kind of like a hard yep. interval to set to do some of that stuff yeah and i think another thing is just not letting these like habits that we do to better ourselves become too big of a piece of our identity where like it's like I take cold showers, but if I don't enjoy taking cold, well, you know, if cold <laughs> showers aren't doing it for me anymore, it's like if I skip a cold shower, I'm okay. Like it's not the end of the world. And just like being able to detach from, you know, being a carnivore and having a piece of bread every once in a while. Like it's just, you, you shouldn't be, you have your identity so locked into one of these different categories. I, I find it super helpful to think of everything as a tool. Like what's the tool? Like what are you getting out of it? Like, you know, the the wakeboarding and the wake surfing stuff is like actually like a it's a it's a tool for like refreshment and for relaxation for me i tend to go 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 with work all the time to the point where it's actually not useful like i overwork and then you burned out and then you're tired and then you have to recoup and then whatever and so what i found is like building in things that are fun um makes me end work 
faster, which actually makes me more productive with work. Um, but then the thing with fun is like, if we're just going to go out and drink or party, whatever, that's like not as exciting to me. But if I'm able to say like, Hey, I'm going to go outside, I'm going to be in nature, I'm going to be on water and we're going to learn new skills. That's actually more interesting. So like you could say like, okay, you know, are you going to like not focus on your business to, you know, to, to learn all these other sports. But I actually think like if you set it up right, and that's the cool thing about the impossible is there are other areas of your life, but if you do it right, you basically set it up. So your different areas of your life, like the characteristics you're building in each of those areas are bleeding over to other areas. And that's one of the things that I've talked about with, uh, you know, with men mentalities, um, with physical fitness, um, the fitness, uh, mindsets the mindsets that i've built through physical fitness challenges has carried over entire i wouldn't have been able to do some of the things that i've done in my business if i didn't train myself in that way mentally from fitness and so like the way that the impossibleist is built it's like okay you're constantly working on each of these areas of your life not to neglect another one but actually it's like you're building up different attributes in these areas that actually have applicability to other parts of your life and I found that super helpful, and especially when it comes to endurance training and mindset, um, there is so much overlap to entrepreneurship there that um, it's it's like sometimes you know, no, ultra marathons aren't easy, but it, it sometimes make ultra marathons feel, you know, it, it feels simpler in comparison than dealing with some of these business issues. I wanted to ask a question specifically about that. I think you're tweeting about this recently, and I know it's just a big part of ultra running in general, what's your self-talk during an extremely like long race without a cheering crowd or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so it's, there's a couple different things. Um, the basics are I do. And this made me laugh because, uh, I thought I was just a crazy person. And then I found out a bunch of stories of other people who did this, but, um, I do a lot of math in my head, um, which sounds stupid. Uh, so I will be running like a 60 mile race and I'll be like, okay, I'm 10 miles in only like, you know, only one more marathon to go until I only have like less than a marathon to go. And then like, I'll get to like a half marathon. Split. And then it's like, I'm constantly revising that in my head. Um, I thought that was crazy. Someone actually sent me some, some study of some person that lived in like isolation for a really long time. And it was going to be like super debilitating, but the way that they got through it was literally just doing math games in their head and constantly training themselves over and over. Like, coming up with puzzles and solving puzzles in their head. And that's how they got through this like long, tedious thing. And it's become this thing that I think like, I don't know if it's a mindset training or what, but like, it's just something that I kind of did automatically. I didn't really think of it. I thought it was kind of weird. Um, but I know other runners will do that. And I know people in other areas will also do that. So that's interesting. Um, I'm not a huge, like, uh, mantra guy but i will have like phrases that i say to myself at the beginning where just like you know like uh my buddy kyle maynard um he is uh 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 he he climbs mountains he was in a nike commercial he has no arms and no legs and he climbs mountains he's a badass uh but he he always had a a mantra when we hung out um you know say uh not dead can't quit and so that's like a really good running one because you're like not dead can't quit not dead can't quit it's really good from a rhythmic standpoint um so i would have that in my head um and the other one that i i, I use that is not really like it's, a, it's not self-talk but um a lot of people give themselves an out before the race starts and for me i just uh if i get to the start line 
I don't, I don't really win most of these races. Uh, so it's not like I'm planning to win these things, but a lot of them were like physically challenging or the terrain, um, was difficult or the climates were crazy. And so mine was like, like if I get to the start line, I'm, that's the only way I'm finishing this. The only way I'm like leaving this race is like through the finish line. Like I'm not like, I don't care if it gets cold. Uh, I don't care if it's, you know, really difficult. I, even if I get injured to some extent, like I know myself pretty well and I know what levels of injury I can, you know, take. And it's like, okay, I've, you know, damaged the foot pretty badly, but it's like, okay, I'm going to finish this race. I did a, uh, this wasn't smart, but I did, you know, race in Patagonia, Chile and did like 26 miles and like busted my ankle and then did another 14 on it. It's not other people shouldn't do that. And I had to pay a price for it, but like, it's one of those ones where it's just kind of like I made a pact with myself at the beginning and I was like, I'm doing this. And, um, I think you build up trust with yourself over time of doing difficult things and knowing that you're capable of doing difficult things. And that makes, um, that makes it a lot easier to keep going when you want to quit. So I think that's a huge component that kind of happens before the race that most people don't talk about at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a question uh, that reminds me of um, of David Goggins and his story about being super overweight, going and running 100 miles, like around one square mile where he just like, you know, his legs are broken and he's just running on them. But he sort of takes that to another level. And I was wondering if you I know you've interacted with him, or at least I think you have. So, like, do you get the sense that he is of a different He's like a different animal, the same beast or, or whatever, different beast, same animal. Like, because you're yeah. hanging out with all these people that are, are are insane, are running, you know, 60 mile, 100 mile racers. Does he just give off a different kind of energy or is it the same people? So, uh, David was the first guy that got me into ultra running um, a long time ago, like 2011. He wasn't like a public figure. He was just this guy on like a blog spot account. And I was like, this guy is awesome. Um, and so, it's funny. Um, <laughs> Ultra runners are weird in general. I kind of like them. It's 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 much more about a. Uh, I never was into running. Um, I think the Oatmeal has a comic about this, like uh, marathon runners versus ultra runners, and it's like uh, jackrabbits and like zipped up spandex versus like mountain goats that are just like climbing up the side of a mountain and eating snacks all the time and pooping outdoors. Like it's like that. That, that was his comparison. It's a funny comic. I'll send you the link. Um, but. Uh, I find ultra runners are a different breed in general because you're doing stuff like the, the interesting thing about ultra marathons, I always say, is that it starts after most people have run the farthest distance they've ever run. Like most people will, if they think about the farthest distance they know of, it's like a marathon, right? And then they, you know, a small percentage of people actually do it. And then ultra running starts like anytime past that ultra marathon, which is kind of a cool way to think about it. And so everybody that does an ultra marathon is kind of a little bit nuts. Um, you get a lot of people like, that are addicts or like in recovery that like they found their outlet for their extreme personality in the sport. And I think it's super cool. Um, David's a little mm -hmm. weird in the fact that like, um, other people like at races, like ultra runners will kind of interact with each other. And you know, those, you know, he's in camaraderie. Um, I haven't run any races with David, but, uh, I've heard stories and like, he'll just like, Every, he, he, he writes about it in his book, like everybody else has like teams or the have setups or whatever. And he's just got a chair and David and it's him. And he's just like there, um, which is fun. You know, like it's very him. Uh, so he is, uh, you know, from a, 
I don't even know from like an athlete standpoint if he's like the greatest athlete, but he's got this like mentality in his brain just burned in there that like, you know, if he's across the line from someone, he's going to win or he's going to outwork them. So I think, um, yeah, it's probably one of the more extreme ones. I'm sure there's someone out there that like could give him a run for his money that like just doesn't talk ever. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's definitely up there. And he, he was the guy that got me into, you know, ultras in the first place. He was the first person that talked about it, you know, um, you know, I don't really like running. Uh, it's not something that I enjoy, but I like the challenge of it, and I like the places that it takes you. And so he was the first person that, like, uh, got me to understand that, and then I pushed myself to the point where it's like, okay, I was actually, you know, taking on some of those challenges myself. So you owe a lot to him then. Yeah. Uh, uh, hopefully I get to do a podcast with him someday. It's going to be uh, going back and forth. We'll see. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll be looking forward to it. We'll be sure to share it whenever that happens. But what is the most dangerous situation you found yourself in pursuing a goal on your impossible list, extreme or not? Ooh, Ooh that's a good question. Um, ah, interesting. Dangerous or stupid? I'm both. here for both. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, right. I'll Stories give you one that kind of... I'll give you one that that was dumb. I probably should have done, but this is like before ultra running. I was in Hawaii, and there's a active volcano in Hawaii, and there's a lava bench, um, which basically there's a a spot called the lava bench when the lava hits the ocean. Mm. Um, and we were out like hiking it, and it was supposed to like the lava wasn't surfaced that day, so usually they have guards out trying to keep people away. Um, and the whole thing with the lava bench is it looks like it's stable. But at any time, it could collapse in the ocean, and, like, you're dead, and, you know, a lot of people yeah. are dead. It's really bad. So they're like, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. Um, but they didn't have guards out because the lava flow – basically, long story short, we did this big hike, uh, big adventure, and then um, instead of having guards marked out and having, like, you know, people watching because it hadn't been active for a while, um, we just kind of, like – we were like, oh, there's lava. And we like kind of walked right up to it, like literally to the point where like our shoes are melting. And we were like, this is so cool. This is so awesome. Got a bunch of really cool photos with it. And then, um, you know, hung out there for way too long. And then it wasn't until like we got like started going back home or walking back home. We were like, oh, no, that was the thing. There was like one rule. And it was like, don't go there. And it's like, oh, we went right there. So that was, that was stupid. Don't do that. But like that's probably like the – if, if something bad would have happened, that would have been, like, the probably the easiest bad thing to happen. And it would definitely have been 1,000% my fault just being dumb. So um, there's that. Um, that would have been a cool the, way to go out, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, right? Um, one time one time I tried to go tandem, sky, or tandem base jumping, and um, I couldn't because, um, like, the day the, – the week before we were going to go out, the guy who was hosting it, like, died in a base jumping accident. So that was that. That was pretty bad. Um, but that wasn't, like, me personally being in danger. And then from a – from a uh, – my best race story, I think, is, like, the, the race I did in Finland um, where it was just, like, I did – it was a 66-kilometer race in basically the North Pole. Uh, it was – uh, my water bladder broke right before the race, like five minutes before. So I had to bring like water bottles instead. Um, I ran out of water 10 K in it's an unsupported race. So there's no water out there. Um, I basically started eating snow mid race to like 
you know, hydrate. And if you guys know, like, snow looks like there's, like, okay, it's a lot. And then it melts down to, like, nothing. Um, so it's pretty disappointing. Um, and then halfway through the race, I was like, I don't have any water. I need some water. There was a campfire. I dumped a bunch of snow in the, uh, into a pan that was laying out, I guess, they had um, there. Melted down a bunch of water into this pan. Poured it in my water bottle and kept running. Two miles later, it was so cold, the water froze. So I'm just carrying around ice now. I still haven't solved the water problem. Uh, I got lost like twice. Uh, they give you a map to navigate instead of like, you know, a GPS, that, like anything like that. Um, and then on the way home, it was like my, like on, on the 10K end back to uh, the finish line. They moved the finish line from like the race point on the, the frozen river to like inside the town. So they moved it inside a hotel downtown because it was way too cold out. And they're like, we don't, like you have to run into the hotel lobby to finish this race. Um, and on the way in, um, it was my fourth race in like seven weeks. And uh, my foot just, I just feel my foot just swelling up. And so um, I didn't fracture my foot, but I like, by the end of the race, like my entire foot was swollen. And it was just like, between the water, the cold, I was out there for hours, like, it was, it was less of a race. It was more of an expedition. I called it. <laughs> it was just like, you're just, mm -hmm. you're just trying to survive today. That's all you're trying to do. Um, but that was probably that's the most. That's it's fun because it turned out well. But uh, that could have, you know, gone another way as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, sounds it sounds crazy, but living it is one thing, and I I just can't imagine. Um, and like. I think that we're kind of dancing around like with your self-talk and, and the way that you were thinking during that time, but you had to have something. I'm assuming that this is the 777 series that you did, right? Yeah. And you had something that you were fighting for in the creation of these schools. So like what led you to deciding to do that? And how did knowing that what, we were, what you were doing was helping others help you during those races? Yeah, so the... The helping others is, like, a really good hack to, like, make you do something. Like, it's a really good thing to, like, get you a start. Um, it's a pretty bad one to, like, get, keep you going. Um, you got to have a lot more internal resolve, I think, to, like, do it. Like, it's a – I mean, in some respects, it's both. Uh, there was a point where I was, like, super, you know, ragged in Antarctica, and I was like, you did not come all the way to Antarctica – and get, like, through five of these races and take, like, stop halfway through this race and, like, not finish this project. And so it was part of, like, it was part of, like, you've done way too much to do, you know, to leave now. And also, uh, you know, you're not, like, you know, from one perspective, it's like I made a promise, you know, like, I talked about building trust with yourself and, like, you know, coming through on the things you say you're going to do. And, and for me, that was like, hey, I made this promise to this organization and, you know, uh, these kids that I'm going to do this. So it's like, it, that was almost more important to me than the actual outcome. It was like, I have to fulfill that promise and like come through on that. And so that was helpful. Um, uh, but when you're like hurting, like, I don't know how much compassion I'm having for like other people. Like, I'm not like, maybe that sounds terrible, but I'm like, I'm like, I got to get through this. And like a lot of people will break because the acute pain of what they're experiencing is bigger than like, the compassion they'll feel for others, if you will. And so for me, it was, it was much more solidified on like, listen, uh, I think this is going to be something that's impactful for me. I think the arc 
is worth doing. I think the story arc, whatever that is going to be, is worth engaging in. And I think it's going to be really, really, really difficult, but I will be happy that I have done it um, in the end. And so, like, when I committed to doing that, that commitment made all the other stuff easier. Because it's like you sign up for a race and you're like, okay, I'm going to do the race. A lot of times, if I know it's going to be a tough race, I will write out the things that I will be willing to, like, experience during the race. Like, I'm going to be sore. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to, I'm going to be hurt every inch of my body. I'm going to not do anything for the next week. I'm, you know, I'll deal with snow, rain, no water, whatever. Like, I'll write them all out. And then when they happen, because they will happen in the race. Like, I've had ones, you know, it's like, I'll, you know, I'll deal with rain. And then it just downpours. And you're like, okay, race, are you testing me? Like, is this a... Is this a personal vendetta, me versus the race? Um, but what ha- what happens if you write all the things that you're willing to go through for some of these goals? You know, everybody talks about what they want, but they don't talk about what they're willing to give up. So if you talk about what you're willing to give up in order to do, do some of these things, that makes it a lot easier when those things come up and you're asked to like, okay, you have to sacrifice your comfort. You have to sacrifice, you know, like feeling good for the rest of the race. You're going to have to like, you know, sacrifice a couple days after the race where you're recovering. Um, when those things come up, it's much easier to like give them up and then keep going through the race because it's just, it's basically negotiation at that point. That's all very, very, very intense. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking it all in. Uh, I want to follow up on, on the specific purpose underpinning that discussion we just had, because you completed the seven, seven, seven to my understanding quite a few years ago. Have you followed up with the schools at all? Like, have you seen the Finnish schools? Have you done any visits? Have they like sent you reports of the outcome? Like, is there you know a reward for having put in all this work and suffered, gone through an icy hell to yeah. other than the intrinsic, other than the intrinsic reward of doing it? But like, has this come back and like you've seen students go through your schools and things like this? Yeah. So I have a site impossible.org. Um, where you can see all the philanthropic stuff that we've done. So we do, we do, uh, I do fundraisers every once in a while um, for Pencil of Promise. Uh, we do like community giving to Kiva, which is entrepreneurs uh, in other countries. Um, and so I think it's mm. over $300,000 at this point. Um, maybe more, I have to update the count. Um, the schools are all built. Uh, those, so the way this actually works is like, okay, we raised the money XYZ number of years ago. Um, they take like an 18 month process to like get through. And so like that kind of happened, all the schools got built like right before COVID. And then we're like, okay, are we gonna like plan something to go see them? And then like everything was shut down for the last little bit. So I've been to, uh, I've been to uh, the school builds in Guatemala on a previous trip before 777. Um, and that was kind of what, you know, we did one school initially and then I saw it, I was like, okay, we should do more, but I wanna do this in a bigger way. So then let's do 777. Um, so we've got eight schools total. Um, but I did the Guatemala one. When I was traveling uh, for the races, I got to stop in Laos um, and see uh, their team there. And um, the only location I haven't been to is Ghana, um, which I would like to. And so I actually got an email from their team the other day. Everything's still on pause. They're doing some virtual stuff and there's some doing other things. But we have reports of all the schools that we've impacted, the communities that we've impacted, the number of people, the kids, like photos of the schools. So like, that's been super rewarding and like looking at that stuff makes you like, like, you know, yeah, I can go suffer for, you know, when you, when you actually lay it all out, you know, it's like 24 hours max, you know, for a lot of these races. And it's like, I can suffer for 24 hours if it's going to, you know, bring something else better into the world. So Mm -hmm. 
that's been super helpful. Um, that's all available on impossible.org if you want to check it out. Um, and I'm happy to, um, you know, talk more about that too. But we have like full, we have full community reports of everything you're doing. And that's part of the reason why I picked Pencils of Promise was the transparency and how they work both with their fundraisers, uh, the donors, like all the money. You know, people thought, you know, I, uh, people thought at first for 777, I'm raising the money for me. I'm like, no, like I'm underwriting, like Impossible is basically sponsoring the whole thing. Um, but any, you donate a dollar, it's going directly to Pencils of Promise. I don't touch it. It's not, you know, it's not going to us. There's not a lot of overhead. Pencils of Promise does a great job of like reducing their overhead through uh, private grants and like letting all the money that's donated go directly to the schools. That's been really cool. Well, it's very, very cool to hear the, that was my, one of my most burning questions leading up to this interview because I, in the research doing this and seeing other interviews you've done, you haven't been on too much during COVID because it's been so crazy. So it's cool to see yeah. how that's coming together uh, in the time since. I want to switch now to what we call the bonus round, some more rapid fire, fun, less nuanced questions. Uh, so first one, kind of a fun one. You're an extreme athlete. This is a popular thing for extreme athletes. What's your preference, sauna or steam room? Uh, cold tub. Can I do that? Can I, can I, can I opt out? <laughs> yes. I would say, yes, I, for sure. I, I would say, I would say sauna, sauna, sauna for sure over steam room easily, easily. Uh, but cold tub first, like give me the cold tub first and then I'll get in the sauna. But like, if I have to pick one between mm -hmm. like the cold tub sauna and steam room, it's definitely the cold tub. Yeah. I saw a really good, uh, TEDx about, cold showers somewhere uh, uh, we'll link it down below for people to, yeah, yeah. to check it out um i can know some stuff. i have a question for you yeah what do you think of retiring early like this big movement uh, about retiring early lewis actually interviewed his grandma and she asked him this question or he asked her this question and got an interesting answer so i'm curious to hear what you have to say if you don't seem like the type of guy who is is aiming for retirement um are you talking about like the fire movement Yes, but also yeah. like okay. just the general. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, like early retirement. So, I mean, I could be doing Impossible forever. Like, the, that's the interesting thing about Impossible for me is that like it started off as a way to like enrich my life, and it's still doing that. And I imagine that like if I keep doing it correctly, like it's going to keep making my life more interesting. Um, I I could see wanting to retire early and like being like physically like being super smart about it. If I'm just like locked into a nine to five job and I'm like, all right, this is what I'm doing. And I want to, I want to stop this so I can go to something else. I thought Tim Ferriss had a really good quote on this a long time ago. He's like, if retirement is so early, why not like, or it's, if it, if retirement is so great, why not try it out early? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and just do like, you know, like either mini sabbaticals or other stuff. Like a lot of people will be like, okay, I'm just going to work for 40 years and then like hope I get to do what I want when I retire. And what I'm trying to do is just do more of things that I like. Like, yeah, like I, I might be no. able to retire or, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you could retire when you're 50, but you're not going to have like, you're not going to have the health and the vitality that you did at, you know, 22. Um, so why not try to change up the ratio of like, okay, yeah, I'm working a lot, but like maybe I can add more interesting, fun things in my life that I want now versus waiting 40 years and, mm -hmm. and doing that. It's not, it's not that like, you know, I'm against delayed gratification or anything, but it's more of like, you know, like if you're going to retire early and you're going to have like 50 years on the backside of your life, like you might 
want to experiment with what you might do at that time. Um, and I think that's a really interesting concept to do of like, how do you, you know, I think with COVID and remote work, like it's, there's more opportunity to, to do stuff like this than before, but how do you make your work work for you in an experimental way? You don't have to run your own business, but like you could be a really like solid employee and then like use that to negotiate more time off or more remote work or do something else instead of just being like, Hey, I want to get paid the most money all the time. Uh, money is one currency. Time is another. Um, flexibility is another. And it's like, how do you, how do you maximize what you're earning across those currencies for the life that you want to live? Um, so I think that's an interesting concept and yeah, you know, be fiscally responsible, save your money, you know, invest in the future, but like also like take control of your life and decide what are the things that you want to do today. I think like you did with the sauna question, you're encouraging people to order off the menu, right? It's not working or not working. You can distribute retirement along the way. You can get flexible work agreements if you're willing to consider ordering off the menu. What well, is, so, so can, I, can I expand on that real quick? Can I expand Definitely, on that Definitely, please, quick? please do. So like, I mean, we're talking offline and you're like, okay, I'm trying to figure out like where, like none of these career options that people are presenting to me are like super compelling, maybe like, you know, maybe that's too much, whatever. But like, that's how exactly how I felt graduating college. College is kind of easy for me. Wasn't super difficult, but like, I didn't get the point. It was just like, okay, I felt like it was a series of tests that I'm pretty good at test taking. So I'm going to take them. And then like the end result didn't seem like I didn't connect it till the end. I was like, oh, this is what I... I'm going to get, or this is what we're supposed to do. And it wasn't super compelling. And I'd always been independent. I'd always been kind of like, you know, I had a lawn mowing business. It's like 14 years old. Uh, I'd always been kind of doing a little bit of my own stuff. And, uh, you know, when you said order off the menu, oh, one of my favorite things to do is like, if I, if I go into a restaurant and I know they have good food, but I'm not like super pumped about any of the meals, I'll just litter, like, I know they have all the ingredients and I'll be like, hey, can you make this, 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 or can you just make your, you know, your signature dish with something else instead? Um, and a lot of times people are, you know, most people don't consider that. And a lot of times, like, you can get whatever you want if you just ask for mm -hmm. it. Um, and that's what I think is like, I, I, that's basically what I've done with my entire career is just like, okay, what do I want to do? How do I make that happen? You know? what needs to, what needs to fall, you know, into place for that to happen. And, and then I go do it. So that's been the ordering off the menu is a good, uh, I've heard that before, but okay. I haven't, I haven't done it in like, uh, terms of life. And so I, I like that example. Well, happy to have provided a useful, uh, mental model for you because you've provided the impossibles for us, which has certainly, certainly been useful in my life. Uh, random question here. What is the value for someone like you spending time on Twitter? Like, what is the benefit that brings to your life to invest time and energy in having a Twitter following and presence? I've probably met more of my, like, current real-life friends off Twitter than is believable, um, which is <laughs> hilarious. Like, I, I find, you know, like, a lot of times in college, like, okay, you meet all your friends in high school from, like, proximity high school, then college, proximity dorms, interest groups, whatever. Um, after I graduated college, it was like, okay, like who's working on things that I want? And it was all people that were either writing blogs, working on new projects, uh, coming up with ideas, doing really interesting sports or adventures. You know, I had a friend walking across America and I was like, that's kind of cool. Like he's not a business dude, but he's like doing something cool. And so those are all the people I connected with. 
And it turns out, like, 10 years later, they're still doing interesting things. And for me, mm. because Twitter is, revolves around interests, it's basically you can find who's interested in the same things you are, no matter where they are. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, I've gotten, I've gotten work off Twitter. Like, I've gotten advising work. I've gotten, um, you know, uh, investment opportunities. I've had, I've had people work for me off of Twitter. Like, they follow me, and then I'm like, I need a web developer. And they're like, hey, I live in... I have a guy who lives in Nigeria, and I have to wire out money. tonight. It sounds like a scam, but he's like a great web developer. Um, and he found me off Twitter. So um, it's one of those ones where I find it's super helpful from aligning interests. You have to be super smart about how you curate it, especially now. Uh, mm. But all these people that complain about Twitter is abusive, it's bullying, whatever, it's like learn what the mute button is, use it liberally, like, Block. I, I like muting more than blocking because people think they're still talking to you, and then you you don't even you don't even know they exist, and it's much better. So like, if someone's being abusive, like you just like, hey, go ahead, mute yourself, have have a day. But like, I found it super useful for like you know meeting someone like Taylor. I met Taylor years ago, and we kept in touch, and now we live in the same town, and I'll see Taylor you know on a pseudo regular basis. Uh, there's a bunch of people that like if they're moving to Austin or coming to visit Austin, it's like we have a connection there, um, and. I think the interest groups initially align on Twitter and then, you know, they eventually show up in, in, in the meat space, if you will. So, uh, I found it super helpful. Yeah. I think all that's super interesting. And, and one thing I did uh, a couple of years ago was just, it was a blessing in disguise because my Twitter got deleted. And so I, I went into it with different eyes and sort of curated on purpose, the type of people that I wanted to, to be downloading information to my brain from. And I think that that's had a, a really positive, um, a positive value for me. Um, and, and yeah. using Twitter correctly is, is the game. Um, you know, we're young guys. We take our shirts off sometimes. Coming into it the post-COVID roaring 20 six-pack abs. So if you could yeah. give us just the, the rundown, the short, the quick, how to get it done. How to get it great. done. Um, so... So a possible abs, one of the first fitness programs we came out with, um, and it was a cutting program basically for me, and it was a intermittent fasting paleo real food protocol. So uh, it was like a 16-8 intermittent fasting, um, and then I went super low carb. And guys have an easier time with this than women. Women, I, I don't even know if I would. Uh, most of my audience is male, um, so I don't know if I would recommend a ton of women. But we've had women get great results with it too. Uh, but it's basically just like a carb reduction. It's, you know, it was a little bit of keto before keto came out um, with a focus on more real food. So uh, what I basically did was I was just like, I was, uh, yeah, real food paleo, just like cutting down way on carbs, eliminated most sugar from my diet, which is, that's weird if you've never done that before. Like, and you try to reintroduce sugar, it, like it starts to feel like a poison to you. You start to feel the effects like way more than you would normally feel it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have a uh, a couple different things. I have I have a I have Impossible Abs, which is the paid program. But there's also like a, a no excuse uh, fitness workout. And and you know, if you're young and lean, uh, it, this is sometimes easier. But I think some of the best exercises to get like jacked or ripped, um, just caught up, is sprints. I think hill sprints specifically uh, will yeah, 15 minutes of that, like three times a week, you will. Uh, you will be sucking wind, but uh, they do a really, really nice job on the physique, and it's 
nothing to do with abs. It's just all body composition and um, just high intensity training. So uh, that's the 80 20 of that. Um, and, you know, there's a free program called the No Excuse Workout that we've got. There's a, uh, there's a nutritional protocol that we have called the FBC protocol. Uh, there is uh, um, Impossible Abs. And then um, one of the things that we're working on, um, I don't know if you've seen this recently, but this has been scaling out the last six months. Um, beyond what we've had so far is uh, impossiblefitness.com is basically going to be the hub for all of our fitness content. And so mm -hmm. we're going to have everything from free demos and tutorials on like specific movements to uh, actual, we're going to have programs for like any impossible goal you want to have that's physical fitness related. I want to cool. see if we can get an expert in to partner with, create a program uh, specific for that goal, and then let you knock it out into eight to 12 week increments, uh, depending on what you want to do. And so um, whether that's, you know, uh, you know, get caught up for the summer, put on some weight um, and muscle, uh, whether that's like train for a 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, ultra, uh, whatever it is, we want to have a program for that. And then you get that as part of uh, just, you know, being a part of the possible. So uh, that is coming up and that uh, the programming on that should be really, really cool. Uh, I think it's going to be ready, hopefully end of month. So fingers crossed. Awesome. Well, Joel, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and sharing some of your crazy experience with us. And, uh, you know, we're bullish on Joel or bullish on impossible and bullish on the idea of, of making people uh, believe they can do things that they didn't think they could do before. And um, and so thank you for coming on and thank you for being you and, and spreading that positive energy into the world. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate you, uh, you paying attention, reading and uh, reaching out. Yeah, if we could send people one place on the internet to keep up with you or learn from like your very best resource, where would you send people? Uh, come check out impossiblehq.com. You're gonna get act, you're gonna get links to Impossible Fitness, um, Impossible Gear, our e-commerce site. You can check out Impossible Org or Philanthropy. You'll have everything there. But impossiblehq.com. Oh, great! Thank you so much, Joel. Awesome, guys. Thanks for doing this. And that wraps up our conversation with Joel Runyon. What an amazing person. He's been doing really cool stuff for so long. Uh, his TEDx talk, I think, was from 2014 about cold showers. It's really good. You should go check it out. Um, my three quick takeaways are, one, Joel is just a regular guy. I mean, if you ran into him anywhere, you, you wouldn't think twice, really, uh, unless he spilled the beans about just how cool of a person he is and all the amazing things he's done. And, um, you know, I think that that is one, uh, lesson that I tried to live out, which is, you know, every person is, has something in them that is just extremely interesting and you should go through life, not thinking like, Oh, what am I going to learn from this person? But what can I learn from this person? I think that that leads to better outcomes overall. Uh, the second thing is about impossible, his business just super cool that he started a, a company years and years ago and over time has just responded to the market and created this huge brand that, um, you know, I think has a really, really good message. And Lewis and I talk all the time about media optimism and, and just what it does to, to be putting out a really uh, powerful message into the world. Like, you know, nothing is impossible and the limits of what is possible are just what you think they are and what you create them to be. Um, and then the third thing is just, I really like, um, the idea of goal setting philanthropically and how, 
you know, if you can make a goal be outside of yourself, I feel like it makes it much more important to you. Um, and I don't know, I've seen that over and over again. It's something that I think that I want to do in the future and, and should probably get on. Uh, that's in reference to his seven, seven, seven challenge where he, you know, built seven schools for, for young under children with nothing. And I think that that's just incredible. And those are my takeaways. And, uh, it was a great conversation with Joel and I'm appreciative to him for coming on. Three quick takeaways for me. The first one was the importance and usefulness of exploring before committing to a goal. So, uh, we use running a lot as an example, because Joel's done a lot of running based goals. Uh, but before you decide that your goal is to do seven ultra marathons and seven continents, maybe you should just run one, or maybe you should just run a 5k kind of take a smaller version of the goal before you commit to the huge goal. That's really, really helpful. And a lot of us don't do that quite as much as we should. Second one is I just love this dangerous story and his adventure. I think that's part of the motivation to set an impossible list and kind of think of your life in this type of context, not so you can do something as life-threatening as he discussed, but you know, as the life fully lived, I think has, has fun adventure stories like that. Third takeaway here is to trust you can do it. That's something that kind of relates to the David Goggins 40% rule where according to David Goggins and a lot of other ultra endurance athletes, right when the pain sets in and you think you've given it your all, that's when you're really only at 40% of your capacity. And when you have that in mind and just trust that the body is way more powerful than you think it is, you can do things that, you know, we've used this word a lot, but you previously thought were impossible. Uh, so those are my three things from this conversation. Really, really, really enjoyed it. I will real quick encourage you listen to another episode. If you enjoyed this one, our episodes are not really tied to the current events at the time that we record them. So it doesn't really matter if an episode six months ago, a year ago, it's probably still really interesting to you. So while you're waiting for the next episode, which will come out in a week, just scroll through the feed, see what else speaks to you. And we'll be there ready to talk some more. Thanks so much. See you in a week with the next one. Bye-bye.